you know, even when you wake up and you're not feeling great, you just have to say, I'm, everything's going to be okay. And I'm, I feel okay. And, you know, your body tends to be fooled. Hi, I'm Jordan Syme from the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. This podcast has been underwritten by the following supporters. William Ravis, the official real estate office of the Arts Foundation. The Cape Cod Foundation, Mass Hire, the Cooperative Bank of Cape Cod, the Melody Tent, and the John K. and Thurza F. Davenport Foundation. Welcome to the Creative Exchange Podcast. I'm Julie Wake, the Executive Director of the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. Today, we're headed to Provincetown to talk with performing artist Scott Townsend, otherwise known as Thirsty Burlington. In a career spanning more than 20 years, Scott Townsend, embodying his female alter ego, Thirsty Burlington, is regarded as one of the finest female impersonators in the business. Scott has performed in clubs throughout New England, New York, Florida, and Mexico. In 1998, Scott found his home in Provincetown, Massachusetts, where he writes his own material and performs to sellout crowds. Playing himself and Thirsty Burlington, Scott stars in the feature musical film, Thirsty, based on his life. In this episode, we cover so much. Scott's positive attitude towards life's challenges is inspiring. We learn about his battle with colon cancer, living with dyslexia, and experiencing childhood trauma, which was a focus in the movie about his life. Scott takes me on a journey of becoming who he is today. We talk about what it's like to live in fear because you're different, his path into the performing arts, and how he found safety in the performing arts and in Provincetown. I hope you enjoy this heartwarming conversation with the articulate and thoughtful Scotty Townsend, lovingly known to us here on Cape Cod as Thirsty Burlington. Scotty, welcome to the Creative Exchange Podcast. It's so great to finally connect with you. Thanks for having me. You are like a legend down in Provincetown in the drag community. So... I mean, there's a movie about you. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, before we get into it, I always like to better understand, you know, where people are from, where you grew up. And I know there's a movie and I know a lot of the answers to some of my questions, but I'd love to hear it straight from you. Yeah, those are movie. Those are movie. You know, that's everything's a little blown out of proportion. Right. What would you like to know? Okay, where are you from? I grew up in Cambridge. Massachusetts, in between Central Square and Harvard Square. I used to play a lot at MIT campus. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, I didn't really, I, they bounced me around a lot as with schooling because when I just thought I was stupid, but I was dyslexic. So I didn't really get a lot of what I was being taught. So math is a huge problem for me. Reading is not funny because a lot of people that with dyslexia see words backwards or something. I'm more with that with math. Mm-hmm. So after being bounced around until about, I was about 14, they put me in a private school in Franklin, Massachusetts. 
and I just exploded. I was, that was exactly where I fit. And I remember I would, I would be so worked up and nervous about being teased because I was teased relentlessly all through school yeah. um, for being feminine looking and being so thin. And um, I remember a woman tapped me on my shoulder the first day after I had thrown up in the bathroom, as I did all the time from just nerves. She said, you need to join drama. She like knew that I would fit in there. And then I did. And the rest is history. <laughs> Who was the person? Who's oh, the- her name was Susan Freeman at the time. And I believe she's been married since then. I'm not sure what her last name is anymore, but we were actually still in contact with each other. She like saved my life. I was literally suicidal right before I went to that school. I, um, I attempted to kill myself. Mm. So I was put in a a children's hospital in uh, in Salem, Massachusetts, the North Shore Children's Hospital. And I got to say, I kind of loved it because I got tons of attention. They waited on me hand and foot. My bed went up and down. It was kind of great. It was safe. And really safe. But obviously, I didn't want to kill myself. I just didn't want to feel the way I was feeling. Yeah. So I ended up in this great school in Franklin and then graduated from there and went on to become a hairdresser by law. As a young gay man, you have to become a hairdresser at some point in your life. And then I started cutting hair in Harvard Square. But I was always good at impersonating people's voices. I would just pick it up like a parrot. And um, I used to do it with my my aunts and the nun who lived down the street and I eventually uh, I guess I'd seen the movie Mask with Cher and I was probably I don't know I was just coming out and I remember my friend and I saw Mask and I walked out of the theater and I said Rocky don't do this to me make yourself well and my friend was like wow you really sounded like Cher you should like enter a contest and lip sync or something And I did, and it kind of just skyrocketed from there. And so you were able to kind of reshape kind of the the performance side of yourself, or had you already been, because you were quite talented in high school and and then beyond. Yeah, actually, when I was a child child, my uncle used to sing on Cape Cod in South Yarmouth, and he was called the Man of a Thousand Voices. So I think that's where I kind of copied it. And he would do like Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and all those classics. And then he, you know, I was adorable. So he would just, you know, pull me up on stage. I think it was to, so we could get chicks, you know, use me as a little, little pawn or, you know, how like, you know, guys would go to the park with a dog to get attention. I was his little puppy. And I would start singing when I was very, very young. So I've always had a bug about wanting to perform and make people happy. I, I would love for you to talk about that. Like you were growing up as like kind of unsafe and not accepted. How does one go from feeling so unsafe, kind of beaten up, teased to like get on stage? Like it's because I feel safer on stage than I do off stage. Cause you can't really get to me on stage unless you lunge. But I, um, and it's also, it's like almost like armor. 
mm-hmm. you know, when you put all that makeup on and the wig and the costume and the padding and all that, you're no longer me. I'm portraying somebody else. And it just was safer. So I kind of, you know, I was teased so much that I would try and find a way of making people like me. So I would do funny voices and, you know, I would make fun of myself before you got a chance to make fun of me. Mm. So where from the hairdressing, being a hairdresser to kind of transitioning to full-time drag in Provincetown, can you give me a little bit of the timeline of things? How did that Yeah. So I actually, I'm not sure if I was such a great hairdresser. I was just really entertaining to my clients. I bet. (laughs) So I would just like sing songs and cut their hair and everybody, you know, if if I wasn't really comfortable with a haircut, I'd be like, let's do something asymmetrical. You know, I would just talk them into like stuff. So I started doing my little voices and then, you know, I was probably 80 pounds back then. So there was in the nineties, those like waif models were in like Christy Turlington and um, what was her name? The the really skinny one. Anyway, my friend said, you know, let's do some drag shows. So I would do these drag shows in Boston at like Avalon. And I think Chaps was one of the name of them. And I would, you know, work until like two o'clock in the morning. And so I had to kind of choose between getting up at nine o'clock to do a perm and doing what I really loved, which was performing. So I kind of stopped cutting hair and then moved to Provincetown and then started doing shows more frequently. And how long ago was that? How long have you been in Provincetown? Probably about 25 years. And um, where did the name Thirsty Burlington come from? I had just mentioned the model. So I loved all those skinny, wavy models. And there was one... um, Christy Turlington was her name. And she's mm-hmm. actually, I met her a couple of years ago. It was amazing. Um, but I always loved the way she looked. And my friend was like, okay, you're going to do a drag show and you don't really have a name yet. So what do you think about like Thirsty Burlington? I was like, well, that's cute. So then I became Thirsty Burlington. And then people just assumed because I like to drink, I was called Thirsty, which didn't happen until later on in life. And then now the word thirsty means you're kind of like after someone's husband, you know, like the word thirsty means something else now. Oh yeah. When I see a post or something on social media of, of like Like a thirst trap or she's thirsty. Yes. And I'm like, (laughs) I am not a slut. (laughs) So this woman, Christy Turlington, who was a famous model back in the day when they were like the supermodels, she has a foundation called Helping Our Women, I believe it. No, it's um, Every, every Mother Counts, Helping um, Women in Africa. And she does a, a race. I think it's on Cape Cod. So about four years ago, she was going to be running through Provincetown, I guess. And someone said, well, Thirsty Burlington has got to introduce Christy Turlington at this event. So I got to meet her. It was amazing. And she's stunning I felt like the crypt keeper next to her and she actually said you know I've known about you for 15 years so it was really kind of great that's incredible she seems like a nice person she's so sweet I follow her on Instagram yes so do I I was so excited when she accepted my 
Instagram and now she follows me. So cool. Yeah. I love that. I love that whole era of Cindy Crawford, Kate Moss, Naomi Campbell, Naomi Campbell. Oh yeah. Wham, George Michael. Yeah. The the music videos with all of them. Yeah. We recreated that one year. You did. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, so your connection to Provincetown was what? How did you find yourself in Pro? I know you're from, so not far up in Boston, but what Pro? It was when I, I started impersonating Cher as kind of a joke. I had a friend, um, his name was Ronnie, still friends. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, there's a, there's a contest called Putting on the Pumps, hosted by Michael Lucier, who still lives in town. And he said, why don't you enter and we'll see what happens. So I went to Provincetown for the first time, fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Did my song, I sang, I think I lip sang Bang Bang. And I remember my I was pulling off my coat thinking I was all like cool. And the coat got caught on a bracelet. So I whipped it behind my back and I went, huh? And I made like a Pee Wee Herman voice. And people just loved it. And I won that contest. And then we just kept going back to Provincetown like every few times a month and then I ended up moving here years later with uh, a boyfriend at the time Mm -hmm. and you never looked back you love it I never looked back and I there was a club called Steve's Alibi which is now a t-shirt shop and I met a a larger uh, drag queen named Perline so we started a little drag show called Size Queens because I was so skinny and she was so big. And it also has another meaning. And we did three shows a night, five nights a week. And I think our ticket sales were like, it was like five bucks a show to get in. It was crazy. And I have no idea how I used to do it. So that I love that you brought that up because drag shows in Provincetown are a huge economic driver for that little strip of land there and um so much so that there's a lot of performers that live in the Provincetown area and as I mentioned Jonathan Hawkins had put together you know the Provincetown Arts Relief Fund for performing arts and is you know wanted to invest in to make sure that the performing arts and the performing artists that participate in the drag shows, I think he said there were 30 to 40 something shows a night in the heat of the summer. It's yeah, you cannot throw a dead cat without hitting a drag queen. So how do you stand out? Well, I'm fabulous. No, um, <laughs> I don't know if I do stand out. I think I've just been here so long that I've become kind of a staple. Yeah, yeah. But we get a lot of performers that come in from out of state for a weekend or two, mm-hmm. but it's, it's getting a little bit harder for people to, to stay here because it's so expensive and housing is, is really a problem for people now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That housing is a big issue. That's um, a challenge here. Definitely. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about what it's like to have a movie about yourself and also the opportunity to play yourself. How did that come about? So first of all, the movie is called Thirsty, right? Yeah. And when was it, who, like, this, who was 
Like, how did this come about? Can you tell us a little okay. bit? Fascinating. It's it's really good, Scotty. I, I really enjoyed it. I know you're like, Ugh, but it's <laughs> it's really good. So back in the days when I was doing three shows a night with Perlene, mm -hmm. um, a lesbian couple came in and saw me perform and took an interest in me. I think because I think I may have been barking and barking is a word we use when we flyer for a show, almost like back in the days when people would um, promote like a carnival, like step right up and come and see the show kind of. So we call that barking. And I think I must have been barking as Scotty and then later on got dressed and did the show as Thirsty. So I think she liked the idea of knowing both people. So they slipped me their card and asked, you know, said we'd like to do a film about you. So I kind of ignored them for a long time, like a year. And then they reached out again and said, we really want to do a film about you. So we began, um, they began calling and, and just asking my life story over the telephone and recording it for years. And then, so they've gotten, you know, conversations about my childhood, my teenage years, as I got older till, I guess about five, seven years ago. We, we filmed in um, 2013, I believe. And I had just had a lot of health issues. I had um, fallen and hurt um, my shoulder. So I had a, uh, a doctor give me a shot of cortisone, mm -hmm. but I was allergic to it. So I got something called Cushing syndrome, which is a blood disorder. So that gave me osteoporosis. And then my hips collapsed. Like I had all these crazy things happening to me. So I had to have both my hips replaced and then my knee and then my ankle, then my shoulder. So I think they were like, we have to make this film before this kid falls apart. <laughs> so they ended up casting three versions of me and then my mother and my uncle and my father. It's like all these you know, people that were in my life, my sisters. So it is crazy. We filmed it in um, upstate New York in Hudson. And it was pretty trippy because, you know, they would they would go as far back to the 70s when I started singing as a child. And then went through high school and it was almost like I almost I described as getting um, a photo album of your childhood and opening it up. And then those photos coming to life. It was it was emotional to watch. I bet. It was almost like, you know, because my mother and father both have passed. So just seeing these actors playing my parents was very, it was very emotional because it was like they were alive again. It was really quite sweet. Mm. There are definitely challenging moments and then in the movie, um, and there are moments of levity that are just wonderful. And um, one of the moments is um, when you're, I think, what did you call it? Hollering? No. Barking. Uh, barking. <laughs> Sorry, when you're barking, it's a lot like hollering, and there's a so you're barking on Commercial Street in Provincetown, and a mom and a couple of kids are standing there, and you're like, and you can tell like you're a really nice person, and you're like, it's a it's a kid friendly show, you guys are all welcome, love to see you in there, and you're dressed up all glamorous, and um, 
What if the women say to you? She says, let's get a picture with the drag queen. And then she says, oh, your father's going to hate this. Because I guess the father was homophobic and he would not be excited if his children were taking a picture with, as she put it, a gay. And then I said, you know, I'm not a circus freak. Yeah. You know, and she was like, well, you don't have to be such a bitch. Yeah. I said, I'm not being a bitch. You're calling me a faggot in front of your children. Yeah. And I said, you're supposed to set an example for these kids. I said, what if one of your children grows up and realizes that he himself is gay? What kind of example are you setting for them? Did that happen? It did. It felt. It really- happens a lot. Yeah. That, you know, especially people have been drinking. They don't really, they're not very sensitive to what you're doing. And they'll call you an it or a thing. I'm like, I'm not a, an object. I'm a person. Right. But you learn to get over it. For me, it's when Jonathan and I were talking about the Provincetown Performing Arts Fund, you know, it was a reminder that what that community does in Provincetown is very much art. So it's very much performance art. And, um, and it's really important to think about it that way because it is, you know, if you think about it through financially, it is an economic driver. It's entertainment, it's expressing yourself, it's um, branding almost in the, you know, in the Provincetown way. But- um, And it can be educational for people that come from, you know, like Moose Breath, Montana or wherever they're coming from and they don't really get to see a lot of this. Yeah. I think RuPaul's Drag Race has helped a lot because now it's a little bit more visual. Yeah. visible i i like it when young young children you know ask me questions and I, i'm completely honest with them you know they're like why are you dressed like a girl and yeah. i'm like because this is what i do for a living and yeah. when i'm done i take it off and i'm back to me again why do you think people enjoy it so much i i don't i don't know if they necessarily enjoy drag so much maybe it's you know it's just you know we're entertaining you Mm -hmm. I don't know what the appeal is the glamour it's it I mean some of it's glamour but nowadays drag can be really anything I mean there are bearded Mm -hmm. drag queens and see back when I was starting doing drag like my examples were like dynasty and like the sequin gowns and the big eyelashes and high heel shoes and you really don't necessarily have to do that anymore in drag but I mean it is you know you know know, you're seeing a big Barbie doll right what's the culture like in the drag scene is it supportive is it like can be both. I know, I definitely feel like Provincetown is very supportive. We all really do want the best for each other. Um, it's not always been like that, especially if, you know, you're not, I mean, everyone kind of knows me here, so everyone's really kind. Mm-hmm. But I've gone places where people were very catty and shady to me. Mm-hmm. I've remembered, you know, entering a contest years ago when I had I won and then someone else who was there, I thought should have won. And I'm kind of very like, I'll, I'd like to compliment people. And I would say, you know, I really think you should have won. And they were like, fuck yeah. You know, they would scream <laughs> at me. I was like, wow. Ah! 
I was being so nice to you. But I mean, I think you can find that in any occupation. People can be unhappy with their own life, so they take it out on you or mm-hmm. jealous of what you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm pretty well-liked, so maybe some people who aren't as well-liked can be envious of that. Mm-hmm. I just think be a nice person and you get it back. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. I love the scene um, in the movie where it looks like it's kind of the beginning of your career in drag. And there's two drag queens that are like, oh, God, you know, like put some makeup on, put this on, put put the earrings on it, you know, so that I I just think that it was, you know, so great that, um, you know, you found this world of acceptance. Yeah, it was, that's, and there's a song, it's called Putting You Together, I believe, Putting It Together, where they kind of just teach me what to do and put clothes on me and show me the ropes, which kind of always kind of happens. I, You know, we call it like having a drag mother, Mm -hmm. where it's kind of the first person who sees that you've got something and kind of steers you into a direction. Mm -hmm. This is kind of a funny question, but do you have groupies? I hope so. <laughs> Are there drag- I've never had like people send me like an ear or anything weird, but I definitely have people that come back every year to see my new show. Yeah. And send me like, um, I went through some health issues last year and I had wonderful people sending me gifts and flowers. And mm-hmm. so I definitely have people that, you know, look out for me and mm-hmm. wish me the best. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the health um, challenges that you had last year. I know that it was kind of scary or very scary. And, you know, on top of it, we had a pandemic. Can you share a little bit about, you know, kind of what was going on? Sure. Um, last March, I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. And cancer really runs in my family. So I was quite surprised that I had gone this far without getting it but I um was noticing some stomach trouble when I was in Mexico right before the pandemic like I think it was 2019 so then I scheduled a colonoscopy because I was 50 years old so I was due anyway Mm -hmm. so I had it done and they saw something suspicious and I said I knew it So they found the cancer. It was a tumor in my colon. So I immediately went after it. I said, I'm going to get right through this. Mm -hmm. So I booked my surgery. In fact, it was a year last night. It was Oscar night of last year that I was in Boston having the tumor removed. So now I have a semicolon. No. (laughs) So then... After that, I did 12 rounds of chemotherapy last summer, which was not fun, Mm -hmm. but I kept a really positive attitude and everybody in town couldn't have been more lovely. So I ended up doing one show a week just to keep myself busy. I did as much as I can, but when you've got all those chemicals, you know, the chemotherapy kind of makes you a little foggy and you're tired and my hair was falling out and I was getting neuropathy. And I didn't really, I mean, publicly, I would talk about it 
as Scotty, but I didn't want to carry on to my stage. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to come see my show and feel bad for me or be concerned. So I didn't really talk about it. And th- I had to cancel a show like twice, but I made it all through the summer. Mm-hmm. And then my last treatment was in December. So I'm in remission. Let's keep it that way. Yes. And so but that was that wasn't so much fun. No. Um, but you look really good. Thanks. I would never guess that you went through that this year. Um, yeah, you know, I had during COVID, I gained 25 pounds just being like eating everything in sight because there's nothing else to do. And it's almost like the universe knew something was going to happen to me because when you go through chemo, you lose weight because you just don't have an appetite. So I ended up losing exactly 25 pounds. So now I'm back to where I was in the beginning. Perfect. Thank you. Right? It all worked out. (laughs) It all worked out. Oh, man. Well, that um, I hope you continue to feel healthy. And yeah, um, I'm not 100% back yet. And I'm, I was kind of surprised I talked to my doctor a couple of weeks ago, because we actually have to, um, I have to have another colonoscopy in the middle of April, just because every year you're going to have to do that for the next five years. Um, because if it does come back, it should, it usually comes back within the first year. So I was saying, you know, I'm not feeling 100% back yet. Like, what shouldn't I be feeling better? Mm-hmm. He was like, well, you will, but it, sometimes it can take six months to a year. Mm-hmm. So I'm not 100%, but I'm getting there. I certainly feel better than I did. But I ended up having so many great, I met so many great people that were actually going through the same type of cancers I had, like mm-hmm. through Facebook and we just kind of cheered each other on. I was like, you can do it. Just keep a positive attitude. And unfortunately, a lot of those people that had my exact cancer passed away. So it was really kind of freaky because I never once thought I was going to die. I said, I'm going to beat this. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to someone recently. I was like, you know, you have to have a positive attitude. And she was like, well, my husband did have a positive attitude and he still passed away. So I kind of felt bad about saying that, but that's my experience. And that's all I have to offer is what I went through. But I kind of try and have a positive attitude with everything. How do you maintain that? I watched the movie. You fake it. can't be easy. Yeah, you fake it. You have it. to lie to yourself. <laughs> you know, even when you wake up and you're not feeling great, you just have to say, I'm, everything's going to be okay. And I'm, I feel okay. And you know, your body tends to be fooled. Like you manifest. Yes. Yes. Interesting. So you played yourself in this movie. Yeah. When I was old enough to play myself, they had like a younger, like (laughs) a, I would say a six-year-old to like 11-year-old boy and girl play me as a child, child. And then an older actor around teenage years. Uh, his name was Johnny Bouchant. He was amazing. He played me from like 16 to 20. And then I was old enough to play me from 20 to a thousand years old that I am now. If you hadn't um, played yourself, who would you have liked to see play you? <laughs> it's kind of a corny question. I don't know. I mean, back in the 80s, I would have thought like Ralph Macchio or someone like that. 
But it, I think it really had to be an unknown actor who hadn't really gotten their chops yet. Was it challenging playing yourself? <laughs> um, no, it was challenging learning all the lines that I actually said myself. Like a lot of the dialogue came from actual conversations with me. So I just had to learn how to say it and be believable. Mm-hmm. Towards the end of the film, you know, I, to be honest, I didn't really read the entire script. I kind of just read my parts because I was like, it's my life. How could, you know, I don't need to, I already know it. But towards the very end of the film, I didn't really know my lines and like one of the last scenes. So they wrote my lines on the back of an actor's head on the wall. And I was just like, yeah, not. like I just literally read my lines off the wall. But it was really a lot of fun and I really did learn how to act a little bit better and I had some I had some help definitely because the other actors were actors I thought you did a great job it was very engaging and to watch it and be like oh there he is like that's him yeah it's it's cool it was so much fun it was just unbelievable the amount of work they put into it I was, I had no idea it was going to be that large. Yeah, it was beautifully filmed. I thought it was very high quality. Um, the act, like you said, the acting was great. There's a scene at the very end where this beautiful woman is talking to you at the piano. Now she's supposed to be me. Okay. Yeah. She's my alter ego. She's like my thirsty character. Oh, okay. And she says something about, like, what do you want to do with your life? And you say, I want to be fearless and I want to be yep. safe. Yeah. Because I think I've always wanted to live without fear because I've always been fearful. Yeah. Fearful of being, you know, you know, people would stare at me or wonder what my gender was and, and sometimes want to hurt me because... Sometimes a man would look at me and find me attractive. And then once they found out I was a man, that would piss them off because it's messing with them now. Mm-hmm. They're like, why am I finding a dude attractive? So you you feel unsafe, especially when I was younger growing up. And even now, you know, if, if I'm going through the airport, people kind of second guess what my gender is and it can be scary. But I've always wanted to just be fearless and go through life without caring what people thought and be able to take care of myself in a way where if someone was to approach me, I would be able to bounce back and defend myself. I'm still learning to try and be fearless. Mm. I'm getting there. Oh, I can see that. With... You know, we were having this discussion earlier about, you know, the gender identity and the forefront of things for in our, especially, you know, here on the Cape and uh, and everywhere in politics, you know, gender identity is, seems to be being used as a weapon and unfortunately, um, but what do you think of kind of the momentum of what's going on now with kind of gender identity being so kind of open, you know? I think it's great. Definitely. I wasn't able to do it when I was younger and I kind of envy the younger gay kids coming up now 
where they really can express themselves, which I'm so happy about. I think we're going in a positive direction. You know, our last administration, you didn't really feel that way. It's kind of brought out all this hate that I had forgotten was in the world because, you know, I live in Provincetown and you kind of live in this little gay bubble. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of well known, so I'm very protected and I feel very safe here. And then all of a sudden you were seeing all this hate coming out of everywhere. And I was like, maybe that's always been there and I just didn't really see it. And now things seem to be getting better again. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always had a really supportive family. So I was very lucky. And then I have friends that, you know, when they came out, their parents disowned them and kicked them out of the house. And so. I think it's getting better. I definitely think it's getting better. Yeah. And the kids are so expressive now. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went to see the Barnstable High School version of Shrek with my kids over the weekend. And, and it was, you know, the kids were very expressive. You could tell that it was driven by drama department, you know, like the teachers were very open with their um, ability to let these kids express themselves. And, you know, I was on a call earlier this morning and, and someone said, oh, it, it was like totally a gay performance. <laughs> I said, I was wondering that, you know, about that because it was like Donkey was clearly, you know, definitely this very flamboyant character that wasn't like in the movie, but very much modern and expressive and celebratory of like who he is as a person, you know, that it definitely, you know, my daughter and I were kind of giggling like, oh, this is really funny. Like, why are we thinking about this right now? So, um, but it was meant to do that. And, uh, you know, Barnstable High School, I I have to say like, like bravo. Kudos. Yeah, yeah. I have a funny Shrek story. Yeah. I was at Universal Studio probably about, I don't know, 10 years ago with my friend, Jen McNulty, who's a comedian. And we went to Universal and I wanted to get my picture taken with Donkey from Trek. I think Trek had just come out or maybe it was, it's been out for a while. But so I'm in line with little boys and little girls and I'm like the only adult. So obviously this like animatronic Donkey, whoever the actor was could see who the child was in front of them because he would go hello little girl how are you hello nice sweater like he could definitely see who it was so I'm in line he's like hello little girl how are you hello little boy you look good today and then I get up and goes hello you like he had no idea what gender I was and my friend bursted out laughing it was really funny to see donkey get caught off guard (laughs) hello you I hope that they've had some um, gender identity training. <laughs> I'm sure they have now, definitely. And I, and I, I'm sure he, you know, he tried his best. He did definitely didn't offend me. I thought it was funny. Yeah, oh, that is really funny. Oh, Scotty, it's so nice to connect with you. And it is true what people are saying about you that you're a very nice person. Oh, you're a nice person too. Huh? You have to come see me this summer. I can't wait. So tell me about what's going on this summer. I'm very excited. So I have kind of, you know, I so I impersonate Cher. And when 
I've always wanted to incorporate all like her, you know, she's got a huge catalog. So I've always wanted to throw some stuff in there from the 60s and the 80s and current. Yeah. But it's getting harder and harder to look like her because her face keeps changing. No. Um, so I've kind of always wanted to recreate her like 1970s television show. After she had separated from Sunny, she had her own variety show called The Share Show. It ran from like 1975 to 76. It was only two seasons. So I literally watched the entire catalog. And I'm going to like recreate that television show with like skits and songs, exactly verbatim, costumes with commercials from the time period. So I'm going to be doing that. I open June 21st until September 6th. Uh, 7 p.m. every Tuesday. I'm still only going to do one show a week because I'm not 100% back. And I thought if I put too much on my plate and then I had to cancel, I hate to do that because I don't want to disappoint anyone. So I'm going to still take it a little easy this summer until, you know, I'm fully 100% back. Good. But I'm real excited about it. I'm excited. I think I have to. I've got like 11 songs to learn. And who do you play with? I'm going to be solo this year. Oh, right. Right. Our friend, Mark. So, yeah. Last year, I, <laughs> I was uh, performed with Mark Meehan, who was my accompanist. And I love him so much. So um, he's going in a different direction this year. So I'm going to. I, I, I've always kind of done my shows alone anyway. So and it kind of makes sense that I would be alone because she was alone in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted that feel. I can't wait. I have to like you were literally at a taping of the share show in 1975. I love it. It's going to be fabulous. <laughs> no doubt. I always ask everybody this and I didn't ask you this. You're such a good conversationalist. So I just loved just hearing you talk kind of about your timeline of things, but you're in remission at the moment, which is wonderful. Do you have any kind of self-care habits? Are you doing anything to really keep yourself? I mean, you mentioned that you're going to be super careful with your performing schedule this summer, but how do you keep yourself, you know, over the past couple of years, how have you kept kind of your, yourself healthy and well? I'm not sure if I really changed a lot. I definitely have been eating better and trying to get more sleep, doing some yoga and some stretching. And I wake up and I'm, I say a prayer and I'm grateful that I woke up. So um, my gratitude for life has changed a lot. I'm just thankful that I have all these wonderful people in my life that have been so supportive. Provincetown, I couldn't have dreamt of being in a better place. If you're going to be sick, come to Provincetown. <laughs> because people were just the sweetest to me. It was really great. And I'm such an expressive person. You can really tell if I'm not feeling great. And, you know, people would say, I can see that you're not 100% back. And, you know, and I, you know, I want so much to make people happy that I kind of just, you know, I just stayed home a lot. I took care of myself and drank a lot of water and took my vitamins and, Mm-hmm. kept up my all of my, my appointments and just did my chemo like a trooper I just powered right through which I do with everything you know there are times I don't know when, when you're kind of 
if you don't fit in and you you're feeling bad and I just say wait it'll all get better and you do fit in somewhere definitely and uh, go see a drag show it'll make you happy Creative Exchange Podcast is a collaboration between the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod and the Cultural Center of Cape Cod in South Yarmouth. Hosted by Arts Foundation's Executive Director, Julie Wake, and produced and edited by Julie and Lloyda at the Cultural Center, the series is an ode to the artistic process and its unique manifestation on Cape Cod and beyond. Thanks for listening.